who remind us to do things. <laughs> We're right now. Thank you. Isn't he wonderful? Give him a hand. Go on. We are, we are very blessed to, with our audio guys, with um, Andrew and Steve and uh, the way they assist us with all the things and our, um, our website and all of those things. We are truly blessed here and uh, with our, all of our deacons and you should tell them sometime. <clears throat> Interesting. We looked at tithing last week. and Was anyone here last week? You were good. The, um, we looked at tithing last week and, and one of the reasons we've looked at this, as I said, for those who weren't here, was the fact that a number of people have uh, asked me in the last 18 months or so about tithing in the Old Testament and does it relate to the giving of the New Testament? Was tithing brought over into the New Covenant? So do we tithe today in the same way we did in the Old Testament? So we looked at the in the Old Testament last week and there are certain things that we saw through the scriptures and we saw that uh, in the tithing of the Old Testament it was a command of God. It was part of the law that was handed down by God. It was for the support of the Levites and the priests who had no land of their own. So everybody else had been given land, but the Levites and the priests were to, to, to not have an inheritance of the land, but to work in the, uh, in the uh, um, tabernacle first and in the temple, uh, specifically looking after uh, the work of God. It was for the widows, orphans and the travellers in the land. It was for the religious festivals to celebrate God's goodness to his people. And it was the fruit of the land, it was not money. So in the Old Testament, these, uh, this is the, uh, the, the tithing that was given under the law by God for these purposes. One of the things that we also looked at was the nature of God in the giving of law and, uh, and, and, and two parts of his nature were expressed very clearly in, in the law as it was given and in tithing and that was his, first of all his generosity. What an amazingly generous God that we have and, and we've talked about that this morning and we've sung about it this morning and we look at that video clip and, uh, and to get your head around the generous God that we have. Just magnificent. And, and the fact that we sit here today as children of God, adopted into his family and being given a future that is just out of this world. Also, who is a God of community. And uh, as, uh, as Ben reminded us this morning, that he is Father, Son and Holy Spirit and the fact that one of the hardest things about coming to pay the price for our sin to be the sin offering for us was the fact that Jesus had to leave that community of God and, and the Father, his dear Father poured out his wrath upon him because of you and me. Isn't that awesome? And he created us to be in community and he said to Abraham when he chose him I'm going to make of you a great nation and you will be my people and I will be their God and we will live in harmony and as you obey me I will bless you 
Now the obedience that God required, was it because, what did it come through tyranny? No, not at all. As we as parents desire our children to obey us, why is that? It's not just an expression of their love, although that is part of it, but first of all, it's, isn't it for their safety? When we ask them to be obedient to us, there's part of it is their safety. Part of it is their learning because of our experience in life and our wisdom to be passed on. It's not a tyranny that God says, you will obey me. No. As my people, in a love relationship that we have, then as you obey me, we will live in relationship and I will bless you as my chosen people. That's the relationship. And as part of that was tithing so that the wealth of the nation was distributed in such a way that no one wanted, that the poor were cared for, that the orphan was cared for, that the traveller through the land even was cared for because this was the sort of God that he is. God is love. And we're reminded of that verse that, that um, where the Pharisee asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. And the tithing of the Old Testament was an expression of that, the outward expression of loving those around me. You know, when, when we got up this morning, we got dressed and we chose the clothes that we put on. You didn't, Pat. We chose the clothes that we put on and, and to make ourselves presentable to people. And, and, and we went and we had um, a, a, a breakfast and a, a coffee or a tea or a non-caffeine beverage um, because we satisfied our tummies. Is that right? So we did all those things because of this love relationship we have with ourselves. We're caring for ourselves. We did the right thing. But God also wants us to think of the other person who may not have all of those things. And so this is the relationship of the tithing that he asks us to have. But tithing in the New Testament... If we have a look at when the scriptures talk about tithing themselves, tithing, there's only three verses and we'll look at those now and uh, if you want to look them up, we'll see them. And, uh, and we'll see that this... I've got to point this in the right direction. And we'll see that, that tithing... It doesn't really have a relationship with the New Testament, but we'll, we'll point that out. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of the spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. And then we'll go straight and read without comment to Luke 18.12 I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
Now this is in the same sort of context. Here the Pharisees had taken the principle of the law that God had set out to for, our, for the tithing to be for the good of the people and they'd made a show out of it. That they'd taken this love relationship that the tithe was a part of and they'd made themselves look good because they'd, they'd tithed even down to the smallest spices and yet they'd forgotten what the tithing was actually all about. Justice, mercy and the loving of our neighbours. And here in that second verse, here the, the context of that was the Pharisee praying in the temple and beside him was the, uh, the tax collector. So here's the Pharisee saying, I am just so much better than other people. I tithe, I fast, I do all these wonderful things. I am so glad I'm not like this other person. Where was the spirit of the tithing in that? But then when the tax collector came to the, and prayed, he said, God, I'm a sinful man. You see, the spirit of tithing was actually far more in the tax collector on that time that it was in that Pharisee. This was before Jesus died. This was still at the time of the old covenant, before the new covenant had been instituted. So that was those two times. And then the other time that tithing is talked about, and this was a time in Hebrews 7, 1 to 10, we won't read it, but this is reminding us one of the things that we talked about last time. Before the law had been given, Abraham had gone to war and he'd come back and with the spoils of war and he'd been met by Melchizedek, the, prince of, of the, the priest of the Most High God. And he'd been blessed by him and, and, and Abraham decided at that point to give a tenth to him of the spoils of war to honour him. In Hebrews here it reminds us of that but, it, but it's, the context of it is not about tithing. The context of this passage is about the priesthood of Jesus being far greater than that of Melchizedek. So whilst the story is relayed here in Hebrews, the context is about the priesthood of God or priesthood of Jesus being greater even than Melchizedek. So that basically is the extent of tithing in the New Testament. So there was a condemnation by Jesus of the, of the Pharisees because they had picked at, the, at the, uh, the letter of the law for their own purposes but not the spirit of the law. <clears throat> There's many verses in the New Testament that don't deal so much with tithing, <clears throat> sorry, that don't deal so much with tithing, but they very much look at giving. So we want to look at that now. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this, and I'm, it's, I'm a man, and two things at once is just a little beyond me. And. Uh, oh. <laughs> There's no need for you to say anything, darling. <laughs> you didn't. That's exactly right. There's no need. 
Oh dear, she just shakes her head, doesn't she? 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. So we're going to look now at various aspects of giving in the New Testament. This is the, the, um, after, after Christ has, has died. He had instituted the new covenant because of this, that he had fulfilled the law. He had fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law that it was all built on. And that was this, that we had sinned and we could no longer have communion with God and we had offended him. And there was this debt that was owed to him because of that. So the law was based around the, the need for sacrifices. But Jesus Christ as the perfect Lamb of God came and he fulfilled that requirement and he instituted a new covenant of a love relationship between us and God. Now let us have a look now at verses and we'll skip through and have a look at some verses and and some various headings of giving in the New Testament. So what does it talk about? Tithing meant, as we said last week, Tithing could have meant 10%, 20% or 23 and a third percent depending on how we read the scriptures and what commentator you were listening to at the time. But what does this say, 1 Corinthians 16? Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So it will already be there. So in this text, Paul instructs the the church in Corinth in their collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem to give proportionately to their income. There's no mention of a tithe, but the point is simply, if you have much, then give much. The next section is in Acts 11, 27 to 30. Acts 11, 27 to 30. Now, I'm using lots of verses so you're not getting this as, uh, you know, this is what Garth thinks. But we're using the scriptures here to see that this was the, uh, the, the New Testament teaching. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that there would be a severe famine that would spread through the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples as each one was able, so according to what they had, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So they gave according to their means. And in 2 Corinthians 9.7, a similar theme, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. I think there's two aspects to this point here too, is that, you know, sometimes in our heart we can think, you know, the spirit moves us and we, we think we should give a certain amount to something that God is calling us to be involved in. But then when it comes the actual time to pull the money out of the wallet or to push the buttons on the machine, depending on what it is, depending on how modern we are, we sometimes get the jitters. But God says, give what you've purposed in your heart. 
I think the other side of this too is that we should be careful as in some churches where there's, there's sermons constantly on offering. Oh, sorry, on the offerings. And we need to be very careful that we're giving according to what the Spirit is telling us to give and not being compelled to because of a person up the front who's wanting to see the offerings increase and increase because this is all about our giving, not someone else's taking. So let's have a look now. The purpose of our giving. Acts 2, let's not keep them up with me, I'm sorry. Acts 2, 44 and 45, the purpose of our giving. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They gave to everyone who had need. We're going to see some themes that are very interesting here. 1 John 3:17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So here the purpose of the giving is to give to those in need. What was one of the purposes of the Old Testament tithing? was to make sure that those who had need were supplied. So there's a common theme running from Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, the next one. Sorry. To meet the needs of Christian workers. Let's have a look here. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while he is treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. The next uh, passage is 1 Corinthians 9, 6 to 14. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 to 14. I'm sorry if I'm going a little fast. And here's Paul speaking again and he says this, Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink uh, the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. It is about, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he has he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was, this was written for us because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? 
If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we also have it more? Did we, but we do not use this right on the contrary. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not, sorry, do you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share at what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And there in Philippians 4, 15 to 18, Moreover, it says, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but I desire, what I desire is more, is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. We saw there that it was for the, the, those who are working in the church. Isn't there a correlation between that and the Old Testament of those, the Levites? So we can see patterns that are set. Next one, to meet the needs of the poor. In Luke 12:33-34, it says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, it says this, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with your own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And James tells us, In James 1 verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, when I read this uh, verse in Ephesians, uh, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, do something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. It's an interesting verse. I have a very good friend who's an Anglican minister and he works very, very hard in one of the low socioeconomic areas in, in, uh, around Melbourne and uh, he, he really does struggle in the work and, um, but, but he has this incredible heart for evangelism and, um, and over a five-year period he, he led about 100 people to the Lord and, uh, but it was very interesting in this particular area, very few of those people ended up in his own church. And the reason was this, that when these people came to the Lord, their outlook on life and their needs changed dramatically. Now, those who didn't have a job actually saw that it was a good thing to go and have a job. Their circumstances changed. But the other people, most of them, who had a job but used their money very unwisely 
suddenly had a complete change of heart and they'd never realised that they had so much money coming into their household because they gave up so many of the things that they'd been wasting their money on. But the interesting thing was they sold up their homes, moved to another area and the Baptist church down the road ended up with lots more of those people than the Anglican church because they moved to a more affluent area near their suburb. Isn't that interesting? That the change of attitude that can happen when a person comes to the Lord and these people suddenly had more than they thought they ever had. So, what should be the manner of our giving? First of all, in contrast to the Pharisees at the time, we should give anonymously. Matthew 6, 1-4 says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Secondly, we should give voluntarily. 2 Corinthians 8, 3 and 4 says this, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. We should give expectantly. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 19.21 says, Sorry. Oh, sorry, it's all right, I'm a bit confused. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-19 says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, over the last few years, how's your superannuation been going? Oh, oh, (laughs) Betty just fainted. You know, it's been interesting though. There's nothing wrong, I'm not condemning superannuation, It's it's a good thing. And, uh, and planning ahead in that area. But you know that over the last few years, superannuation has taken an inca- a terrible hit through the economic situation around the world. It's a good thing to provide for the time when we no longer work and so forth and to have enough to be able to live on. 
and we, and we put our money into that superannuation account expecting that in a few years' time, what's going to be there? <laughs> Sorry? Nest a, a nest egg. We, we call it in the Western world a nest egg. But uh, an amount of money that's going to allow us to live, we expect that money to grow, don't we? But the trouble is, it doesn't take much in this world to change circumstances dramatically, does it? And... Uh, I've heard of people in the past who've whacked all their money under their bed but you know an electrical fault changed their circumstances in the house. You hear of people laying up treasures in a whole range of different ways. What did, what did the scriptures say about, uh, what did Jesus say about that man who harvested an incredible harvest year after year and he built bigger barns and he threw it all in there and he just looked at it and thought I am wealthy hey? <clears throat> I am wealthy generous giving will be rewarded by heavenly treasure Would you rather have your treasure on earth where it will perish or in heaven where you will enjoy it eternally? Your answer to that question will have much to do with how you view and use your wealth. I remember, it was the first time I'd heard it and yet it was an older song, a a young guy who joined MMM, Bickle, Ian Bickle. Uh, Do you remember Ian? he stood up one day and he, and he sang a song. He had a beautiful voice. And he sang this song and I'm desperately trying to bring it. Uh, um, and it was about going to heaven and, and, and meeting there. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Do you know that song? It, it's quite well known. Thank you for giving to the Lord. And there, this person who had gone to heaven suddenly saw his investment. A person who, and it gave little examples of, uh, uh, of uh, people who just gave to a mission. But here that particular gift brought a, a soul to the Lord and, uh, and here in this, uh, by people's giving, this person stood there and saw that investment that stood before him, not like the investments that we have on earth, but an investment that lasted for eternity that no global financial crisis can ever take away from. Next, we should give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9.7 Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So don't listen to Garth today, but I would encourage you to listen to the Spirit. We should give sacrificially. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5, the Scriptures tell us, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You got that? In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy 
and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded their expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They could see outside of this world to an eternal future. And Mark 12, 1 to 44 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Now many rich people threw in large amounts and I'm sure they did it in a very open way. But the poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Our motivation for giving. Our first motivation should be the example of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 we see, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty may become rich. And then we have the command of Christ. In John 15, 12 and 13, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. No greater love has one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So this is what we see in these particular scriptures in the New Testament, that we are to be generous, we're to be sacrificial, we're to be expectant and we're to be cheerful in our giving. Does that describe us? Does that describe us in the way that we are giving? You know, it's really interesting. There's not tithing in the New Testament. It doesn't say to make sure by law of God that you give 10, 20 or 23% of your income to him. Our circumstances have changed. But you see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today and his character hasn't changed. So has God who was generous in the Old Testament times, is he generous today? Yes, his character is the same. Is he a God of community that he was before? Is he today? Yes, he is. Does his his desires for his people, have they changed? No, they haven't. God has opened up his arms to all of the world. And we saw that that clip, that video clip as we earlier on in the uh, service in John 3.16 for God loved the world so much that he gave, he gave his only son that whoever, that means you and me, believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So am I as the pastor of this church going to stand here now and start to shake my fist and tell you about how much you should give? Absolutely not because it's not my business. It's the scriptures. It's Jesus who works in the heart of all of us and as he teaches us individually about giving, 
The times have changed from the Old Testament and now in, his, in, in the generosity of, of his spirit and the giving of his son, let that work within us and let, it, let us give according to what the spirit tells us. Let us give to the poor. You know, we, I'm really excited about the, uh, what the missions committee is doing in, uh, in especially in the area of um, international China concern in, in those children that are born with uh, physical and mental disabilities and so forth and the way that professional people are working with them in being able to give them a normality in life that they could never have in China. That really excites me because I, I see it as a, as a commitment that we at this church are making to those children, not the people who are doing it so much but to the children. Oh, I think it's wonderful the way that we have been able to link in also with um, the leprosy mission to see people who are living in different countries with leprosy and they have lost um, um, fingers or, or, or uh, arms or whatever but the leprosy mission helps those people to have dignity. It retrains them and it not only fixes the leprosy and heals that but it gives them the dignity to live with, with work and with money and so forth. Samaritan's Purse and the... Uh, and, uh, and what's happening with that and the way that we do the shoeboxes every year. I would just love to see us struggling to see the songs on Sunday morning because of the amount of boxes that are there. It would just thrill my heart, the generosity of being a part of that. And I know there's people here right now who are already working away at doing those boxes. You know, we're, we're, um, we're supporting... Uh, Phil Jones in Mexico as he works um, over there at this cafe which is directly across the road from a, a university and they have people come across them and they sit down for a coffee and they build relationship with those people and they lead them to the Lord and then those people that they lead to the Lord they then teach them in a discipleship course to me this is so exciting and I just see it so directly from the New Testament that these are the people that we should be supporting and as we support various workers from here. But folks, I want you to be excited about what's happening from that money that you either put in those bags on, on Sunday or as most, many more of us are doing now by putting through the internet and giving and that way we can give even when we're not here. And um, it's exciting. It's not a command of God, but it's a plea from God to be a part of what he is doing in this world. To have his generous heart and also to be a part of the community that we have been placed in. Folks, I leave those verses with you. And I ask that you allow God to speak to you, not me, just allow God to speak to you in this way and, uh, and let us look to glorify and honour him with our generous, sacrificial, expectant and cheerful hearts. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning. It is good to be here being amongst brothers and sisters who have been bought with your precious blood.
And we come here on a Sunday morning and we, we seek to worship you. In different ways as individuals, our hearts just pour out to you in thankfulness. Sometimes tears well up in our eyes as we sing some of those songs because it just brings it home so deeply, your sacrifice to us that has brought us into your arms, the healing that you have brought to us and these sinful bodies to bring them into relationship with you. And Father, as we look at the scriptures and we seek to know what your word says in various subjects, Father, I pray that your spirit will speak to us. Push aside the words of me and that you will speak to us as individuals and that we would then glorify you. Father, bless us as we go from here and we seek this week to allow your spirit to live out through us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks.